Welcome to the Dental MBA podcast, focusing on strategies for dental business owners and leaders to grow thriving and profitable practices. This podcast is powered by eAssist Dental Solutions, the nation's leading platform for outsourced dental billing and revenue cycle management services. All guests have been invited to share their insights based on their knowledge and expertise in the business of dentistry. Their opinions and recommendations are their own, and you should consult with your own professional advisors with respect to your own practice. Welcome to another episode of the Dental MBA podcast. I'm your host, Penny Reed, and I'm excited to bring to you guys, to you guests, uh, a very unique and I would say more interesting than than maybe the average podcast. Uh, Dr. Matthew Allen is with us today. Matt, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Penny. Excited to be here. Yeah, awesome. So I would say this is a different kind of podcast guest. I'm playing off of the name uh, of yeah. your company. So uh, Dr. Allen is not only a dentist, uh, he is the CEO and co-founder of Different Kind. So I'm not even going to steal any more of the airwaves. Uh, we'll go ahead and let the audience hear more about you and how you founded this amazing company. Well, thanks. I uh, appreciate that. And like I said, just really excited to, to be here and, and chat today. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm a dentist by training. Um, I worked, I live in Colorado, um, worked at a federally qualified health center uh, for a number of years down, down in Denver. Uh, my family and I moved up to the mountains uh, I took a sabbatical. That's a, an interesting part of my story that I've told in various places, just kind of quit my job and hung out with my kids for a year, which is super fun, built paths around my yard and, you know, things like that. Um, but yeah, my specific area of expertise is in patient communication. So I'm going to have a couple of dentists in the world. He's a member of Mint, which is the motivational interviewing network of trainers. Motivational interviewing is an evidence-based communication style that helps patients make behavior changes, um, helps people make changes in general. And I was doing consulting in that space, started my own consulting company to you know, work with groups to help people understand how to operationalize that uh, idea and this uh, style. And I continued to get the question, you know, I was working with the second largest dental payer in the country down to private practice offices and continued to get the question of you know, how do we measure this? And that's a good question. Uh, and I didn't have a great answer for it. I think one of the problems that I've felt certainly experienced, you know, as a, as a dentist is the lack of data, I would say just in general, uh, beyond financial data that I think most dental groups uh, might have, but, you know, beyond that, it's hard to, to get more data, uh, or it has been right. And so, yeah, we said, you know, medical has this. Uh, why doesn't dental? Uh, we certainly can can build something to to do this. So started a different kind of a couple of years ago to be able to ultimately, you know, kind of fill that data gap in general. Uh, but certainly our first product is really focused around patient experience and patient reported outcomes. I love that. And, you know, being an office manager years ago and having done consulting for many, many years, what I would often share it with with my clients over and over is patients really do not understand the difference between bad dentistry and good dentistry unless they're in pain or it's something that they can look in the mirror and they're obviously displeased with it's more about how we make them feel mm -hmm. and i love that you've been able to put data with this and and I, you and i when we did our our, our pre get to know each other right to to see what yep. sort of 
message that we could share with the audience. I had read the book, Nine and a Half Things You Would Do Differently if Disney ran your hospital years ago mm-hmm. and realized mm-hmm. that there was this, you know, not like an MPS score, not like a Google review where, you know, it's it's kind of a siloed score of what your, you know, what your patient's experience was in the office. Would they refer a friend or what they may share on Google? Yet an actual way to be able to see how that compares with your, with the offices around you. So um, kudos for developing this. I had no idea when I was a business coach that you were around, but I'm super excited that uh, that we're learning about you and, and discovering you now. So um, I would love to hear more. And I know you touched on this a little bit. I'd love to go deeper on, you know, the real um, challenges that different kind and these methodologies that you've come up with are working to solve in the dental industry? Yeah, I mean, certainly, I think that, uh, you know, obviously, any good product will will solve uh, a problem, right? And that's certainly where the, I think the journey should start from, right? Uh, and like I said, for me, that was very personal, right? Like, how do I get data uh, around specific things in dental, right? If you walk into a dental office, and you say, you know, hey, which percentage of your patients come back with cavities? It's sad. Most patients, most offices, you know, I would say that the vast majority of them could not answer that question, right? Because we don't have good clinical systems that allow for the capture and, you know, easy exporting of, of data like that. Um, and so specifically as it relates to patient experience and to patient reported outcomes, I think there's this general uh, wave building where people understand that patient experience is important and certainly post COVID, especially with the consumerization, I would say of, of dental care and healthcare in general, people are expecting better and more convenient experiences, uh, you know, in healthcare in general, which I think is a good thing. Uh, and, uh, I, I think that as that focus has come into play, then there's been a lot of time and energy and money spent on patient experience trying to improve it um, without actually having the data to know how you're doing. Uh, And that to me is a big problem, right? You can spend a lot of money on various solutions and you can spend a lot of time and you can spend a lot of training um, on various solutions without knowing, do I even need to do this? Is this really a problem for the majority of my patients or for, you know, whatever, right? So I think sometimes what happens in those situations is you get small anecdotes that, you know, whether that's from person in power who, you know, says, okay, now we need to work on this because I saw this problem um, or whatever, right? But they don't have this kind of holistic understanding of uh, the various different, you know, kind of points along the way where uh, experience can, can go right or wrong. And so to us, that's really the, the, the main problem is that uh, it, it is important for people and they continue to try to solve it without data, um, without having, I certainly, you know, I don't, always love the term data driven um, because I think that there are other factors besides the data that impact, you know, how we make decisions, but certainly data informed should be, I think how we're thinking about the, the, uh, the problem of patient experience and really measuring that and improving that. So um, yeah, I would say that's, that's kind of a, a huge part of what we're helping dental groups solve. Uh, I think that does a lot of things for them. And when you have that data, you can, differentiate yourself, right? You can understand, hey, we are really good at this and let's go market that, right? Uh, We can tell people about that. Um, Obviously, you're going to see gaps and you're going to see spots where you can then make improvements and and kind of close up, you know, some of the the leaky uh, leaky back doors, right? Uh, The open back doors to your practice where you might be losing patients. 
Um, so, you know, that's that's really kind of how how we think about it. Um, and, and I think the problem that that we've really seen there, um, and I, you know, for us, it's been a really fun problem to solve uh, because I think once people start having data around it, it's amazing how they start, you know, being able to quickly identify ways to close those gaps, uh, et cetera, um, when they actually have the data. Well, I, I totally agree. And I think in a smaller practice, or at least this is in my, you know, limited experience that I've had, um, in a smaller practice or, or a smaller group, you might be more likely to say, hey, we want to work on patient experience and be okay without there being a measurable, you know what I'm saying? It's like, hey, we know we should be working on this. As groups get larger in scale, it, you know, that really becomes the question and rightly so, because there are so many places to invest is what's the, what's the ROI, you know, yeah. have we improved if we, you know, what were the challenges we had, you know, where, what was the baseline, where are we now? And then how do we tie that in? Because if not, it can, it kind of gets put in that whole, maybe someday we'll do this, but it didn't <laughs> quite make the cut. Uh, so I love, I love that you're doing this and, and, you know, would love to hear more. I mean, what's going through my mind and you mentioned patient retention, uh, the percentage of patients that are active in hygiene, um, you know, the, the number of the active patient base that is continuously growing. And as I mentioned earlier, I, I used to think mistakenly when I became a consultant years ago, I was super excited to be unleashed into the world with all of these great systems, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that was just kind of in my mind, it was yeah. more tactical and, oh, well, if you just knew how to do this, not that that wasn't important, yet the, the, the culture, the approach, you know, having the right people, having the right people say the same thing. So I, I'd love to hear more, you know, about some of the things that you see of the impact of the patient retention the motivational interviewing, I feel like I could probably do a day long interview because I'm so fascinated about that. So any, any things that you want to share about how you've seen that work or, or what inspired you to learn that in the first place? So I've thrown a whole bunch of things at you. Feel free to, <laughs> feel, feel free to pick one or none of them uh, that resonates with you that you'd like to share on. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, you know, I'll, I'll answer, you know, maybe that a couple different ways. So when we look at the metrics that we collect. So we collect 14 experience metrics, right? You could collect hundreds. Um, and so what we did building building the product and building the platform was really going through the literature and saying, okay, what are the things that tend to impact trust and loyalty the most? Uh, because I think where we see a gap in some of the current uh, you know offerings that are out there, I think just in general, whether that's just a solution that solves a very specific part of the patient experience problem, uh, et cetera, is that um, you know, you, it, it, they're really focused on convenience, I would say. Uh, and again, that's a good thing historically for dental where you haven't been able to book online or haven't been able to pay your bill in a convenient fashion, right? Those kinds of things. We all want and need those things. And I would encourage, you know, all of the listeners you know, to think about your own experience in healthcare, right? Um, and certainly I think the data backs this up. Not every single person's gonna be the same, but the data backs it up, right? That the things that tend to drive your willingness to return to that practice again and again and again um, are trust building things. They're not convenience things, right? So there are there are things like where was I listened to? Um, was I involved in my decision making? Um, you know, was I was the office staff culturally competent um, to understand, you know, how I make decisions, right? From from my cultural lens. So 
those are the things that I think uh, really tend to drive retention uh, over time. And, and that's what we see. That was our guess, our hypothesis based on data from hospitals um, when we started collecting data. And, and we just published our first white paper in July, um, looking at the kind of correlation between NPS and you know these various experience metrics that we collect. And what we found is that the best way to create raving fans in your practice is to communicate well in general, right? And that doesn't sound super uh, maybe earth shattering, right? But how you communicate those very specific things. So it's number one is shared decision-making, which is in involving patients in their decisions, right? Not just saying to someone, hey, you need, you have a cavity, you need a filling. That feels very, uh, you know, things are being done on me or, or to me, uh, not with me. Uh, and so shared decision-making, hugely, hugely important. Um, active listening. And I think, you know, active listening is just one of those, yeah, we could spend a whole day certainly talking about active listening and, you know, the various uh, aspects of motivational interviewing, but feeling like you're listened to, validated, you know, et cetera, um, hugely important. Uh, and then what we call patient consideration, which is gentle, sensitive, my comfort level, those kinds of things. Uh, and I, I think those are just, you know, gaps that for a lot of dental professionals, um, they just didn't get taught in school. And so it just becomes like, well, this is my standard way of doing things. Um, one, like a small example that I can give you there, right, is when you're going to sit a patient back, um, obviously we have buttons on the chairs that will do that. Um, and I, what I see a lot of dental professionals doing is just pushing the button. And it's pretty startling as a patient, right? When you don't know you're going to get leaned back. And so simply asking permission, you know, hey, is it okay if I lean you back now? Uh, and yeah, obviously most patients say, yes, of course. Um, but there's a distinct, I've had a number of different, you know, KOLs that we've worked with and, you know, trained throughout the years and done those things where like, that's been a huge shift for me, right? Like just asking patients permission to lean them back. They've been like, wow, thank you so much for asking. No one's ever asked me that before, right? And that's where those kinds of like, oh, this dental practice is different. Those very small kind of concrete actions that you can do uh, really, really do make a big difference. And so, uh, you know, that's, that's where we're excited to see some of the data come back. Um, Again, and again, obviously we wanna be able to provide convenience in lots of ways. Um, and we want to, our, our goal has always been to make healthcare and dental care more human. Um, and I think we're seeing that, you know, um, the HLTH, the health conference was just, you know, recently and I did not attend, but saw lots of takeaways, right? And in a world of AI and, you know, machine learning and all of these things, right? The core, the core takeaway that I saw from a number of people was like, hey, healthcare is still a human, activity essentially mm -hmm. uh and we need ways to look at each other face to face and have good conversations that are based in trust and based in empathy and based in listening and those kinds of things and so that's that's what i'm most proud of that that our product does for people well yeah and i think you should be and it's it's interesting and i think we're beginning to see more now that there is more technology so i mean I, i'm geeky I may not be, as I'm getting older, as geeky as I thought I was, right? Because the younger folks just seem to be adopted. I was an early adopter, especially when I was younger and, and start my first job out of college. I was in IT. So, I mean, I, I love the whole technology and all of that. And, and as artificial intelligence and technology-enabled services are ramping up, I read... And then I went back to try to find it again. Uh, but the author of uh, Emotional Intelligence, there was a quote where he said, in the age of AI, that the, the emotional intelligence and the ability to communicate becomes even more important, right? So it's more important than it was before. And, and it didn't 
have like a lot of evidence for that. But I think if you and I were to sort of surmise what that is, it's we are having our our patients, our you know, or our customers do more things with technology, right? So they want those things, right? So they can pay online, they can schedule online and and all of that tends to advance. So they're having less interaction than what they used to. And so it would seem like for those that the value of those touch points is, you know, even more important than it was. So everything from, and, and you'll get a kick out of this. You, you, you probably will have something that can correlate to it. I remember my dentist coming up to me when I was working in the office and I happened to be in the seat that faced the door. So I was not only mm-hmm. at the front counter, but I was at the front counter, like front and center on stage. Yep, and yep. I was, it was in the morning and I was trying to close out the day from the day before. And I was off by like 72 cents. I don't mm-hmm. know. And it was driving me crazy. And so I had this concentration wrinkle thing going on here. Um, and he came up and he said, now, mind you, this is in the early nineties. Mm-hmm. So he said, well, what do you think if we put a video camera and he kind of put it like right behind where the computer monitor was. And yeah. I said, why would you do that? And he said, well, you know, and he talked about when the door chimed, which we had a chime, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, people come in that I was the first person they saw. So, I mean, it was a learning thing for me and I never really thought about the face I was making. The other thing that I did was. When I was working on the day sheet, I made sure I wasn't sitting in that chair, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just that that whole activity. But I I would imagine from different things that you've seen and and would love to hear you know about some of the outcomes that you know that you've seen or that your your clients expect to see. And that may not have even been a good analogy, but that was even a nonverbal thing that yeah. I was doing. I had no idea that it could be. You know, some people might think that I was frowning at them when they came to the door. Totally. Well, I love that. I love, you know, the, I would say one of the outcomes that we do see, right, is those very specific parts of systems where there might be just an oversight or an overlook or something, you know, is going on and how a patient experiences that, right? So you didn't have, hey, like, yeah, I'm just doing this work. I think it has to get done. But this is how the p- patient is perceiving that they're perceiving that as you're ignoring them or not being friendly or whatever it might be, right? And so that's really cool. And I think people see that really quickly in the data, right? Um, we've had a number of customers, right? They get signed up, they start using it. Um, it's you know, easy onboarding. And they're like, man, like within the first week, we've had three things where it's like, hey, this part of our system is broken because this patient said this and like, yeah, that we don't do a good job there, right? Um, and so now it's in black and white and now you can go fix it, um, which I think is super exciting. Um, in general, the, the data around patient experience and a focus on patient experience, a concerted effort around measuring and improving patient experience does four main things, I would say. So number one, it increases treatment adherence. Um, if people like you and like coming to your office and trust you, right, they're going to continue to come back and they're going to finish their treatment, which is great. Uh, we all want that. Um, they're also going to continue to come back, right? So you have decreased patient attrition or increased patient retention, which again, we all want. Uh, we know that from a financial perspective, it's much more effective to keep a current patient than it is to get a new one. Um, and so, you know, if we can keep our existing patients uh, in the practice, we all want that. But it also does a couple other things as well. And I think we could probably guess at these um, uh, if you didn't know, but number one is, or number three of the four that I was talking about, is it decreases malpractice claims, right? So even if something goes wrong, uh, people will know, hey, you know, we were, you know, intentional about really trying to improve and obviously no system is perfect. No, no person is perfect. Mistakes do happen. 
we will apologize, we will treat you as a human, we will work with you to resolve it, you know, et cetera, right? Um, and then also it increases staff retention, which I think in this current age, obviously, where uh, staff is, you know, the, the kind of uh, golden ticket in, in a dental practice, if you can keep your staff and keep them happy and keep them uh, motivated and, you know, whatever, right, you're, you're doing well. And, and a lot of people are really struggling in that way. Um, because experience is not inextricable from each other, right? So the staff experience is related to, to patient experience. Um, and so they, they, the two impact each other. So those are, I think, the top four kind of general outcomes that we see. Um, what we've seen, you know, from, from our practices is a number of different things. I think one of the questions that we always get to is like, what kind of impact does this have on, on marketing data? And certainly we're not collecting Google reviews, right? We're not in the business of doing that. Um, but we do provide the ability for patients to give us this feedback in an anonymous, private way. Um, and oftentimes, especially for patients who are upset, um, they just want to be heard. And so they don't want to go onto Google and leave a hugely negative review. But what are they going to do? Call you and like get your answering machine and, you know, yeah. no one answers the phone, right? Like no one's doing that. So that's kind of the only outlet. And now they have this other outlet. So we've seen you know, some practices where, excuse me, um, where they have had like a 90% diversion rate for, you know, bad experiences or one star kind of experiences, right? Being kept off of Google. Um, and so if you can imagine, hey, like 90% of those negative reviews now, they, they are still voicing those and they're doing that in a private anonymous way to you um, without kind of, you know, the review gating problems that I think can exist, which none of us want as patients. And so that's really related to like, if, if you're saying, hey, you know, here's a one-star review and now it takes you to a private place versus saying, do you want to post this on Google? No one wants that as a patient, right? That's bad management of, of data, I would say, from a transparency perspective. If you walk into an office where that's continued to happen and you're like, well, this office sucks, but like all the one-star reviews are just not getting posted, right? Um, that That's not what we want, right? And so right. Our, our kind of platform allows for that to happen in a way that I think still maintains transparency. Um, and things that patients actually would want um, without kind of tricking anyone. So yeah, um, that makes yeah. So you know that that's a good outcome that I would say we've seen. Um, we've seen you know increased productivity in dental offices. We have one of our customers um, just emailed me you know not too long ago, and they say you know hey we hit our production goals in all of our offices for the for four months in a row for the first time ever you know for all of our dentists. And you're like that's awesome, right? Like so I think we continue to see those kinds of of outcomes. Uh, you know, and and we're continuing to work aggregating our data to produce meaningful insights like those in our white paper to say, hey, we we are the industry leader in patient experience. And if you need data around this or if you need thoughts around this, like we want to continue to produce those kinds of reports um, to help people know where to focus, even if they're not our customer at all, right? Like, hey, how do we get better and share decision making? Uh, because we know this is crucial to patients. Yeah, I love this. And, and I love what you... Um with the, even though I'm not familiar, I'll be Googling uh, Mint and the the motivational interviewing, because I think that a lot of us know just enough about that to be dangerous, right? You mm -hmm. know, and, yeah. and it's the, if we want to become the patient's partner in helping them get the care they want, then asking the, the best questions, I don't want to, you know, mm -hmm. I started to say yeah. the right questions. There are a yeah. lot of good questions. They yeah. may not necessarily uh, you know, get us where we want to go as far as finding out what the patient really wants, not to lead them down a path necessarily. Um, but it's what it sounds like you've developed with this, you know, with your company is a way to really partner with an office to, you know, kind of pull back the curtain and say, hey, here's, you know, here are these data points. 
to show you, you know, what's what's going on in your office, right? Not necessarily yep. our opinion. It's your patient's opinion. Yep. Um, I, I am curious. I, I bet would imagine that you have quite a few clients that once they began to utilize your service, saw a significant increase in case acceptance. I mean, I would imagine within probably the first 90 days. Is, is that usually what you guys see as well? Yeah, it takes a little bit of time, right? Because it's not something where, you know, you can, you have to obviously wait for some of the data to come in, right? And, you know, those pieces. Um, but certainly, you know, that is what, what we're aiming for, um, I would say, is, you know, that kind of, hey, we, we, we know it can't take three years. Um, and so, you know, that kind of initial period where, hey, like, we solve these things and, and people are much more amenable to, you know, continuing to come back, right? Um, and so... And, and I think one of the things that, that we see um, is that even if a patient comes back for their second visit right after their first visit, they're still not totally bought in, right? It takes a little bit of time. It takes three or four visits to, to really kind of make sure that that patient is, is truly going to keep coming back, right? And so uh, I think where, where our data helps in that process is to really build that trust initially um, to kind of say, hey, we're going to do everything we can really well from the outset. Um, and we're going to focus on this and it's just going to be a priority for our office. And, you know, that's going to lead to, to that increased retention and that increased case acceptance. And, you know, what I like to say though, is that your case acceptance should be hundred percent, meaning that for, you know, in a true way of thinking, right. That, uh, if we're truly trying to build trust with patients and not just sell them something, right. Um, that what we have to do is be open to the potential that it might not be a priority for them right now, right? It might, hey, like, I understand that this could happen, but, you know, maybe my tooth is cracked, but I can't do that crown right now or whatever. Um, but if I try to force you into that, you'll go somewhere else. Um, if I build a relationship with you, when you do decide that is a priority for you, uh, you will come back to me. And so, you know, that's really where I see the opportunity to, to work with people to kind of co-develop those plans. Mm -hmm. um, as a huge benefit and a huge kind of long-term outcome, um, of, of this kind of approach. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. I love it. I love it. That the effective communication, I couldn't agree more and, and having seen, and not necessarily, you don't always know, but having seen patients maybe that were in a practice for quite a few years and then their main dentist goes out of town and then another dentist sees them for the recare visit. And then all of a sudden after three years of saying no to something, you know, it's like, okay, well, we got them on the schedule. And sometimes it could be timing. Other times it may have to do with a simple difference in communication and the questions that were being asked. So um, I find this all very fascinating. Um, so <laughs> Matt, if you would share with our um, listeners here or, or viewers, if they're, if they're tuning in on video, what is, What's the best way for an office or group of offices to get started with different kind? And then what's the best way for them to reach you? Yeah, for sure. Um, the best way to to reach uh, you know out to us to get started on different kind is to go to our website, which is differentkind.com. Um, certainly book some time uh, there. Like I said, the you know, if, if people are excited about this, the setup process is is fairly straightforward and fast. Um, and all the data collection happens in an automated fashion for the office. So once that kind of initial setup happens, it can be up and running real, real quickly. Um, for those, you know, who want to reach out to me, feel free to, to get in touch. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, probably the best, I don't have other social media, but so if you want to get in touch there, that's great. Also feel free to email me, uh, matt at differentkind.com. Happy to, you know, field any emails there as well. 
And yeah, we definitely, you know, are, are here to, to help um, for groups that are excited about this. We do I think one of the cool parts that we haven't mentioned here, but you know, we've, we've really built this to do it at the org level, at the practice level and at the provider level. So once we have this data, right, we can sort it by all of those different ways um, and visualize it on all of those ways. And, you know, I think that's helpful, right? If you're a provider, you can log in and see your own data. Um, if you're a practice, you can say, hey, how's it going in this practice? And if you're running a, you know, multi-clinic multi uh, group, you know, um, you can see all of your data rolled up and, and understand, hey, where are the bright spots, where are the pain points, et cetera. So, um, yeah, I think there's something there for everyone. Um, oh, who's, it who's sounds like it. And yes, I, I think that would be awesome, right? As the provider to be able to look at your own data. And then, as you mentioned, scaling it all the way up. And then being able to compare, you know, the data, you know, by location with other mm -hmm. metrics as well, you know, to see yep. if there may be some that are, you know, seem to have hit a, a roadblock, you know, with that breakthrough of of the next level, whether it's, um, you know, how many active patients they have or not hitting their their targets, that this could reveal a lot of things. Totally. Um, well. Lastly, I'll I'll close sure. with this because I want to close in a positive fashion. I, I, we never want the data to be weaponized, right? Uh, and we see a lot of really great things happening already in these practices. And so what we tend to see is that, you know, a lot of really positive affirmation from patients. I'm like, Hey, this is going great. This person specifically, right. It might not be the dentist or the hygienist. It might just be someone in the office. Right. And they're getting called out by name. And then our customers are taking that data and using it in daily and weekly huddles to affirm their staff to say, Hey, all of your effort is being noticed by the patients. Right. So it creates this really virtuous cycle of you work hard as the staff, you get recognized for that consistently. Um, and, and so that I would say is, is my biggest joy um, in, in watching our customers use the platform is that it really is a, a positive affirmation tool, um, you know, when it comes to just like weekly and daily usage. And to me, that's, that's amazing. Obviously it's going to help us see gaps, but it's going to do, you know, a lot of that bright spot um, kind of identification for us as well, which I think is just crucial when we all are tired and, you know, there's a lot of work to do and, you know, all of those things. So um, if we can provide more of that positivity uh, in these practices, man, that, that makes me excited. Well, I love it. And, and it is, especially when you're, you know, if you're a solo dentist or even if there are multiple other dentists in there, um, as far as catching people do something right, you can't be everywhere. And yep. so I love how, you know, how the patients by using your tool, uh, it makes it simpler. You know, I, I would talk with, with clients before in the past and it was like, okay, we're getting some feedback that they wish you'd compliment them for some people that doesn't come naturally, not to mention mm -hmm. that you're not everywhere. And I can remember a few of them say, I don't know that I'll ever get good at this. Like it's exhausting. Um, and how awesome that your patients can, you know, help facilitate that for you uh, through your totally. tool. Yep. You know, I think it in, in kind of landing the plane on this episode and, and would love to, to have you back at some point in the future. I find, again, I find this fascinating and I'm sure you're going to be learning, uh, continue to learn new things, you know, as the weeks and months roll by. Is the making dental care more human? And mm -hmm. and I believe you said this earlier, was the, uh, you know, the, the really focusing on the human connection that, you know, and you didn't say this part, but but I'll go ahead and say this part. You know, dentistry is the product, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that's, the, that's the product that's delivered and I mm -hmm. think often we, because we're all geeked out on dental, focus a lot on that, uh, but not only from the customer service standpoint, but it, with what you said, I thought, wouldn't that solve most challenges inside organizations if we all 
treated each other more human. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, and I love that you've made that the focus of your business. You know, it's very inspiring. Um, hopefully your message will resonate with some individuals who are like, yeah, this is something right now that we would like to have. Maybe it's missing or maybe something that they would like to have more of in their organization. Yeah. So uh, kudos to you for putting this together. What a, what a visionary you are. And it's, it's exciting to hear how you, you know, took your initial career in dentistry and turned it into a way to serve uh, so many dental organizations out there. So thank you for your time, Matt. Thanks for having me. It's been great to be with you, Penny. Uh, best wishes to you. Looking forward to see where you continue to go. <laughs> the Dental MBA podcast is sponsored by eAssist Dental Solutions, a platform dedicated to helping dentists get paid faster and get paid more. Dental insurance billing services provided through the eAssist platform can relieve your dental insurance headaches get your over 90-day insurance receivables near zero, and help you collect 100% of what you're rightfully owed by insurance companies. To learn more about how the eAssist platform can solve your revenue cycle management needs or to schedule a free consultation, please visit dentalbilling.com.